This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Do you like the great outdoors? Are you or are you looking to be a master bow hunter, king of the hill in archery? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bow Hunter Planet. It's the Bow Hunter Planet podcast, recorded live in the BHP Studios, Detroit, Michigan, with your host, Team BHP. Hello and welcome to the BowHunterPlanet.com podcast. My name is Dave Thomas, and today I have on the phone Kathleen Levy from Lansing State Journal in Michigan. Kathleen wrote an article that uh, was published uh, in the Lansing State Journal, which I, I found, and I thought it would be really important to um, talk about it and have a conversation with her about it because it includes the uh, CWD, or chronic wasting disease. Um, the article was, Can Michigan Save Deer from This Deadly Disease? And it, it was a very good article. We'll put the link on the podcast. Kathleen Levy, how are you today? I'm good. Hey, listen, Kathleen, thanks for joining the Bowhunter Plant Podcast tonight. Uh, I wanted to have this conversation with you because this is a very important topic that I read in the uh, Lansing State Journal that you wrote about the Michigan deer herd, um, CWD, and it it struck me as a really uh, detailed-oriented article. And I I think what I wanted to ask you is is a lot about the research. Um, What did it take to get involved with this and, like, really learn about this problem in Michigan? Well, in this particular case, I happen to be in the right place at the right time at the very beginning because um, two years ago when the disease was first discovered and confirmed in Meridian Township, uh, I wound up getting a call from one of the public relations people that I know in the Department of Natural Resources who said, uh, uh, we are having a press conference and you're going to really want to be there because this is close to home for you. Uh, and we're going to be talking about something important. So obviously I was interested. <laughs> and yep. um, so we found that, you know, they kind of released the news that the first deer had been discovered in Meridian Township, which is one of the Lansing suburbs, very close and very unusual because this deer was in uh, an urban, uh, kind of a suburban urban population, which is not necessarily what they expected might happen if this disease were to appear. Now, when you when you started doing this article, I mean, did you, I guess, were you surprised by some of the results you were hearing and some of this detail? Well, I was surprised. Okay, so so I was um, kind of working through the process myself. You know, I'm uh, everyone. I think is kind of aware of uh, the mad cow disease issue in Europe, and so kind of the first thing I thought of was this disease is similar to mad cow disease, where is a system disease that is always fatal that winds up uh, putting tiny holes in your brain. And one of the things I thought of was, um, you know, what if this happens where this would jump from deer to people the same way that the um, the mad cow disease jumped from uh, cows to people who consumed uh, beef products. And so that was one of the first questions that was in my mind, and I was kind of happy to find that uh, this disease has not cross that barrier yet and that there are ways that you can kind of take precautions against it. Um, a, a key one, of course, having your deer tested when as soon as you uh, harvest it and uh, bring in it 
bring it in to be tagged and have it tested so that you can make sure that, that whatever you shoot is not um, diseased. So when we're looking at CWD, I mean, I think there's a lot of confusion that goes around the state uh, for, as far as the hunting community is concerned. And uh, uh, we at Bowhunter Planet, obviously, we're, we're worldwide, but it hits home for us because we're in Michigan. We're located in Michigan. And uh, the CWD thing has been a big deal for the last few years. Um, always something that's kind of been on our mind, um, you know, trying to understand just exactly how it's spreading and, and all that detail. Um, I think I think it seems like they have a decent um, – idea of how it's working and it seems to me like uh the whole baiting thing and removing the baiting and then bringing it back it seems like a lot of confusion on the dnr's part um on what which method might be the best method to go um did you feel the biology you you heard when you talked to these people was pretty strong like it was pretty much that that they really know how it's spreading exactly and and how they can stop it or did you feel like there's still a lot of questions here you know i think that there are some questions, and I think that so. So I'm gonna um, kind of go back and talk a little bit about the because um, I talked to some of those state veterinarians, and and they explained how the the disease travels um, from deer to deer through saliva, urine, and feces, kind of the normal disease vectors that you normally have for most diseases. But also the unique thing about this is that it's not a virus or a bacteria. It's a it's called a prion which is a protein that is normally found in the body and becomes toxic. It uh, folds in an abnormal way and nobody's sure what happens exactly. And so the thing about these prions is because they're not a living organism like a bacteria or a virus, uh, when they wind up in the soil, they can actually bind with the soil and they can stay present and contagious for an unknown period of time. So that's, that's a little bit the scary part. And I think... I think that, that that is kind of the thing. So so that is kind of the nature of the disease. And then I think what happened when um, uh, when they implemented their plan in the very beginning and kind of uh, immediately started thinning deer herds and putting restrictions on uh, feeding and all these other things is I think that they really kind of went as far as they could in that direction out of an abundance of caution and it was, you know, kind of a, uh, a really extreme reaction in the beginning that uh, kind of has been experienced and what they've been finding along the way have kind of shown them that maybe uh, that is not, all of those safeguards are not necessary. And I think that's why they've been kind of going back and forth. They're trying to respond to the situation as it develops. Yeah, it's, Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense, and I, I understand completely. We, the last thing we want to do is lose our deer herd, obviously, and it, it's a big deal for everybody, the state and the, the hunters. And So it seems like in the article you, you mentioned radio collars and going that direction. Is that is that seem like it, it's a good logical way to do it? Because to me it seems like a very logical way to actually see where the deer are migrating to and, and moving and um, or whatnot. So, I mean, did you feel that, that that is actually a really good way to do this or – yeah, I'm going to be following this. Um, I'm going to be following this study once they get going with it. So, so basically, what is happening is that they are going to be uh, collaring up to 100 deer at a time, uh, starting in Meridian Township in this area, and they're kind of watching where they go. Um, the idea being that, uh, um, as you probably know, the disease kind of uh, was first identified in Meridian Township, and then kind of did this little arc to the northwest um, through. Uh, DeWitt Township and, you know, some of the other townships north of Lansing. And um, 
so what they're trying to figure out is uh, if they track deer movement, is this the most logical pathway for the disease or are there other places that they should be looking where the deer are also going? Um, and I think deer, you know, they don't really know a whole lot about how deer move around. That's one of the things that uh, uh, Professor William Porter at MSU has been doing for quite a few years is kind of trying to track deer and figure out why they move the way they move. And and so the collars will help uh, figure out where the, the deer are going and how they might be able to uh, stem the disease if it does continue to, to spread. I think the good thing um, that they have learned from all the testing that they have done, you know, they've tested uh, probably uh, almost 13,000 deer in the past two years, and nine nine in this area have tested positive for the disease. Of course, there was the, the two deer on the, the captive hunting ranch in the Costa County that also tested positive, um, and that ranch has been depopulated of deer at this point. So when we're basically talking about the wild population uh, in this area, um, they have done a pretty good job of kind of figuring out so far the arc of where it's going. And and I think that that everyone is pretty much heartened by the fact that out of the 13,000 deer that they've tested, besides those two in Macosta County, they only found nine wild deer. Um, so that could put us in like the New York or Minnesota category where they've done a good job at stemming the tide of the disease as opposed to putting us in Arkansas or Colorado or Wyoming territory where they learned the disease has been much further spread than what they hoped or expected. So yeah, see that one kind of confuses me too, right? Cause you're talking about Colorado. We talk about these major areas um, where you have, you know, huge landscapes, mountainous regions, um, those areas of the country, um, I don't know necessarily that they actually bait in those areas. <laughs> and I think that's where people yeah, no, get but- really confused, you know, because we talk about baiting being a huge issue, the DNR saying that, you know, but then if you look at Colorado and those states, you're like, wait a minute, you know, those guys, they're not carrying no bait up no mountain in a bag, you know? So I think it gets a little not confusing. There. It is, I think it's confusing too. And I think that, um, that may be an example, um, and, and I know this is something that they've been working on, too, that that is kind of an example of a situation where um, obviously that, that deer population is a lot more spread out than, than what ours is here in Michigan. We're more contained, um, more animals per square mile, I think, than probably they have. Um, I think what you are, are looking at is um, maybe it had been established there for quite some time prior to it being discovered. Maybe we have discovered it on the very front end hmm, here in yeah. Michigan, which, which would be a plus. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was the situation with uh, Arkansas where they discovered the disease a year ago, but then started doing testing and determined that in this one particular herd in the Northwest, there was about a 23% infection rate. So, oh. so obviously that was something that you know, is it a lucky fluke that, that this deer stumbled into somebody's yard uh, before the disease could spread farther? You know, I, that's that's unknown yet, but, but maybe it is. Yeah. Um, you know, in this article, a couple of things that popped out, out to me, um, besides what we just talked about, is the money Michigan's spending to try to contain this. 
um, is looking at in per your article, it says there's Michigan is spending two million in containment efforts. Is that enough? <laughs> That's I guess what I was getting to is is even if we just say two million, is, is Michigan spending two million dollars enough in containment enough? I mean, if you if you factor in the amount of money that people pay for licenses, I think later in your article it talks about six hundred thousand licenses. Around twenty right. bucks a pop, uh, way more than a million dollars. You know, it just seems to me that a resource such as this, with so much money counting on it, um, that they would want to put a little more than just a million or two million dollars into that. You know, it seems like they would well, have that money think, anyway. Right, and I think that's kind of the start of the program. I think I, I do feel like uh, uh, I'm getting the message that that they do understand that this is a significant. Um, a, some, a significant problem that really needs to be stopped uh, early, and and I think that's what they're trying to do. Uh, the legislature, you know, they haven't been very generous with much lately, so um, <laughs> that was a nice uh, uh, incentive. You know, it, it's good for the program to have that extra money, and um, it kind of shows that Michigan is serious about preserving um, this hunting tradition. You know, so not only a tradition, I, you know, it's I come from a hunting family. I don't hunt myself, but I come from a family where it's a very honored tradition. And, um, and, and, you know, it's just kind of talking about the very heart of what Michigan is. And I think, I think they understand that. Um, but also kind of the economic factor because, uh, hunting is a multi-billion dollar industry and, uh, it's very important to preserve the, the prey for the hunters to, to go after well, correct. It's big business, so especially in Michigan, and right. that's the reason I, right. I made that comment. You know, six hundred thousand times twenty bucks a pop—that's worth way more than a million dollars. And therefore, it's technically our money that we have, the hunters have put into that pot, right? And so that's the only reason I made that comment. Is just that you know, is a million enough, or are they? You know, because my point is, if if you if this does take hold and people aren't able to hunt as much, then you're going to lose all those tags, right? So that's a lot of tags to lose compared to a million dollars or maybe allocating $10 million to the situation. Um, if it's enough, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know at all. I, I just, my thought is, is uh, you know, since these hunters are contributing so much, I mean, me alone, I think I spent this year alone uh, maybe $80 with, um, you know, fishing, uh, hunting, bear points, elk points, you know, just all that stuff together uh, is 100. That's a resident, you know, spending around 80 bucks, maybe a hundred bucks when you factor OR, VR stickers, things like that. But, you know, I'm just saying, so you got one person spending, you know, minimum, I think it's a minimum of $35, 20 bucks for the initial tag plus your deer tag. Um, so right. it's just a lot of money is my point. And I just feel like, um, I'm happy they're putting, you know, that much money towards it. Um, don't get me wrong, but I guess my question would be to the DNR, is that enough money? Are they allocating enough money out of the money that we as citizens provide for specifically hunting, not for other stuff, right? I mean, we're paying for the deer management in those funds. So I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's a question and not really necessary for you, but I guess for the DNR, is that enough? Is it enough? Is our state well, doing what they should be doing? Right. I think it is. I think it is a good question. And of course, um, you know, there are other things that uh, that they're doing right now. Um, there is a campaign that started this spring to kind of educate hunters in the Western Upper Peninsula who may be bringing deer in from Wisconsin, uh, where the disease is also established uh, much more prevalently than here. Uh, and and I think, you know, there's kind of this effort to keep the UP chronically disease free. Um, and then also the state has just uh, started this uh, a task force, a uh, science panel of experts who are going to kind of look at 
all of the things that have been done so far in order to contain the disease, kind of look at what other states are doing, and then put their heads together and modify and make suggestions for what the plan should be going forward. So I think there is a real uh, uh, commitment towards doing what is scientifically correct. I think with this particular disease, part of the problem is that uh, it's, it's kind of an unknown because it's fairly new and not that common. And so uh, the research is still new. There's a lot of scientists working on a lot of things, but, but it's not like you can say, okay, this is tuberculosis and here's how we stem it and here's how we cure an individual deer that has it. Uh, here's how we stop it in a herd. It's not developed to that issue because yeah. the disease is relatively new. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's good that they're doing that stuff and getting into it. Obviously, they, it's, it's really important for the state and, uh, and not just our state, but other states who are waiting to hear or watch what's going to happen and go forward. It, the last thing I want to ask you about real quickly is just the sniper part. Uh, you know, in part of this article, some hunters are, you know, bashing out, the, you know, the sniper concept, um, uh, calling of deer or whatnot um, to reduce the numbers. Um, do you, did you feel that was a, a logical resolution to do this or I mean to me I, I guess from my perspective I mean why not just open a hunter you know hey hunters go out and hunt it's free or you know give them a tag or let them you know maybe a hunter who's already established hunter could go get a tag for free and use a, a crossbow or a bow or something instead but I guess the snipe shooter concept I, I mean did, did what was your thoughts on that I guess when you were doing this article well so that is in con in it's in concert with with the other things as well so um I know in Meridian Talks, we're uh, basically handing out antlerless permits and, and in the beginning, uh, out-of-season permits also uh, in an attempt to kind of bring the population down. And I don't know if you've ever been in this part of, uh, uh, this part of the area um, here in mid-Michigan, uh, but there are a lot of really nice homes and a lot of woodlots and swamps, and there are tons and tons of deer everywhere. It's a very dense urban population, and I think... Um, but the concern is that that was one of the, the ways that the disease would spread was from deer to deer in these really tight quarters. So um, so besides the sharpshooters, they have done additional permits. And I know that the sharpshooters, there has been some discussion. Um, there are some landowners who do not like this idea at all and others who are putting up their hands and saying, Please, please, I want to give them permission to to take deer off of my property. How do I how do I do that? Yeah. And they mostly been working on public lands in the in the township. Um, uh, my understanding is this sounds like a really fun job, but it's actually kind of um, uh, kind of uh, rough because they're working at night with lights and wearing bug suits out in the mosquitoes and <laughs> I don't know uh, that might, <laughs> some guys might think that's fun. I, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, in my opinion, I bet you, you could get hunters in Michigan to pay to do that. <laughs> There's right, a lot of people exactly. in this state that would love to go out and do that with a crossbow or something at night and, and be legally allowed to do that. But, uh, uh, well, listen, Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us from uh, the Lansing State Journal. We really appreciate it on the Boner Planet podcast. Uh, please keep us updated. I definitely want to know what comes of the research of the radio collar and uh, anything new. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. I'll be on this issue, and thank you so much. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Thanks so much for listening to the Bowhunter Planet podcast online at bowhunterplanet.com with your host, Team BHP. Check us out on Facebook at Bowhunter Planet. We'll catch you next time.